Today, our text is going to be in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them and turn in them to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, we do have those Bibles there in the seats in front of you. Uh, You're welcome to have that if you need a Bible. um, Or if you know someone who needs one, you can take it for that purpose too. Those are for your use. Our text today is going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And I want to say uh, thank you, a a real heartfelt thank you. I'm going to write thank you notes, but um, thank you for all of you who wrote cards and um, showed an expression of pastor appreciation last week that was really encouraging to me. I sat in the afternoon last Sunday, which is a great time to read those. I read those and they were encouraging. So if you did that, um, thank you. I I count it as one of the great joys of my life to have this privilege of, of, um, of pastoring here. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a joy, and I'm, I'm grateful for that show of appreciation, which not necessary, but super, super encouraging. So thank you. Um, yeah, so our text, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. The word of God says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Because God is the one who opens our minds so that we can behold the wonderful things out of his word. Let's go to him and ask him to do that this morning. Father, we pray and ask that you would move here and give sight. I pray that you'd help us to see what you would have us to see here and and then to see the world rightly and see wealth rightly, see money rightly, see you rightly. We are born in this world of sin with skewed vision. We We naturally do not see things the way that they really are. We see through a skewed lens because of sin. So Father, I pray this morning that you would, through your word, do that kind of eye surgery that we need so that we might see the truth of your word and see God, see you as you really are and leave here resolved to follow you and praise you and worship you and set our affections on you. I pray for those in this congregation who are suffering. I know there are several. I know that some have lost a loved one recently. Uh, others, there are other various kinds of trials in this house today gathered, represented by the people who are here. Lord, we, we pray that you would um, comfort and encourage and give strength to, um, to, to us who need it so much. And Lord, we pray together for the church around the world Uh, For our brothers and sisters in Christ today who met in the underground church in China, uh, fearful of the police finding out that they're there, Uh, or in North Korea where having a Bible means um, possible death. 
almost for sure a prison sentence. Or in the Middle East, where loving Christ is offensive to so many. Lord, we pray for the persecuted church. We, we lift them up to you. We pray that you would give strength to them and courage and boldness. And Lord, we pray together as a congregation who are not suffering right now through the overt persecution, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are, that you would encourage them and give them strength to have a bold testimony of faith in Christ. They would not turn back. We lift them up to you. I pray that you would help them to see that Jesus is better than freedom. Jesus is better than no pain. Jesus is better than life. And we pray, Lord, that your gospel would so break out in those places and in this place that many turn by faith to you. In this next little while, Father, would you move here among us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to start by telling you about someone who I believe had a really good eye. Um, this is way back in 1517, supposedly on October 31st, and that's why I'm talking about it today, that's tomorrow. And tomorrow it will be exactly 505 years from this time when an Augustinian monk and priest in Wittenberg, Germany, named Martin Luther, nailed his 95 thesis to a church door and sparked a worldwide movement that we know today as the Protestant Reformation. You might not celebrate that. Um, I think you should. I think it's a really good celebration. Um, I actually caught a fellow pastor trying to nail something to one of our uh, doors here a couple of years back, celebrating that. They were, they were going to tape it because our doors are made of glass, thankfully. But... <laughs> But this guy, Martin Luther, had a really good eye because he could see clearly what no one else at the time seemed to see as clearly. By God's grace, several wonderful truths that we today hold precious were made clear to the church again. And perhaps clear to us as Christians as a result or stemming from the Reformation. We often summarize these five gospel clarifying truths uh, that, were, that were sparked by the Reformation into five solas. That's the Latin word for alone. The five alones. Salvation is by faith alone, apart from works. Salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is through the work of Christ on the cross alone. According to the scriptures, which are alone, our final authority. And all of this is so that we might live to the glory of God alone. At the Deet of Worms, Deet of Worms, not, they, it's called Deet, not Diet. Um, they weren't eating worms, it's a place. Uh, Martin Luther was asked to recant of his teachings. He was brought before this council and he knew he could be killed for it. Like everything was at stake. He asked, he asked for a night to consider their, what they were asking of him. And he, he spent that night wrestling and praying and asking God what to do. And really he had two, two things to weigh whether he would compromise and recant and be safe. Like with a word, he could recant everything and no problems. Or whether he would stand firm and risk everything. And you know, I mean, how difficult it is in those kind of moments to see things clearly, right? To, to see clearly. Life can make seeing clearly so difficult, so, so hard. So what, did, what would Luther do? Would, would he hold 
what would he hold most dearly in this world? The promise of safety and the approval of man? Or would he treasure Christ above all things? When it came time to give his answer, it made it clear where his treasure was. Luther said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I, can, I cannot and I will not recant. Because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. I mean, just think of what Martin Luther was saying there. And the massive impact this had. He was saying, I, I can't look to this council as my spiritual leadership or as the truth because I am bound to look to God's word as my and my conscience. So I won't be recanting and I won't do that even if you kill me. And the impact of this one priest had was massive. He saw Christ as more valuable than this world, more valuable than his own safety. And 505 years later, we're still quoting him. Celebrating the things he saw so clearly. I encourage you maybe to take some time this weekend to think about the Reformation. Why you today see and cherish the truth that salvation is by faith alone. By God's grace alone. Through the work of Christ alone. As the scriptures teach us. So that our lives might be lived for the glory of God alone. It's worth remembering how God brought those truths that had grown very fuzzy back into clarity for the church. Now, I believe that one of the big reasons Jesus said these words in Matthew, our text, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, the entire passage, is because he wants us to see rightly. He is coming to us as like a spiritual optometrist, and he graciously intends to open our eyes so that we see things, things, people, rightly, so that we would see God rightly, see the world rightly, see our own hearts rightly as they really are. It's our skewed vision that prevents us from treasuring Christ above all things. We have bad eyes naturally. We were born with them in this world of sin. And so we look around and we see the world's treasures. We see money, we see comfort. And we think, because we see so dimly, this is why we think this way. I need that to be happy. I need that to be comfortable. I need that to be satisfied. I need that thing or that money or that circumstance to be complete. But of course, that's a skewed vision of reality. It's, it's not reality. It's, it's the way our blind world sees things and how we naturally see things. But, but then Jesus comes along and he helps us to see things as they really are. So that we might look to Jesus and to heaven, not to money and to this earth for our treasure. That's the aim this morning. That's what I'm aiming for this morning. That, that that is what I, I, I think you should want God to do in your life through his word. This word in Matthew 6. Ask him to help you see things as they really are. To see what is valuable and what is not. To see what is worth living your life for. To, I mean, isn't that an important question? What is worth living your life for? And what is not? If you do see it, it's because God is kind to you. May the Lord show his kindness to us today and give us a, a clear spiritual vision. Let me say a quick word about the structure of this passage because that's how I'm going to go through it. I, these three paragraphs, verses 19 through 21, and then 22 through 23, and then verse 24, they're not three separate units. It's all one. Jesus is making one argument. And the argument is not really that difficult to discern. This passage begins and ends with the main thing that he's getting at. 
It, it begins with Matthew, with, with, with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. And then it ends with verse 24. You cannot serve God and money. If this were a sandwich, those two things would be the bread. And in the middle of the argument is verses 22 through 23, and that's like the meat. It might be hard to see now how it all works together. I think it will be clear by the time we're done this morning. What I want to do is just kind of take off the two slices of bread, treat them separately, and then, I don't know, in true keto fashion, we'll just eat the meat alone. Verses 22 through 23, they hold a practical key to understanding all of this section and will keep us. I believe those verses are key to keeping us from laying up our treasures on earth, from serving mammon, and I'll explain that word, and wasting our lives. So first, the bread, the, the, our hearts and our service. We looked at the top slice of bread last week. In that paragraph, you see the main command. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather lay up treasures in heaven. And Jesus gives a supporting reason in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Jesus is warning us against having hearts that are wrapped around temporary, fleeting, destructible, worldly treasure. And he is urging us to wrap our hearts around a treasure that can never be destroyed and that we could never lose. That, that's a gracious word from Jesus. And so let's hear it. We often think it's a hard word. We often read this and think that's a really hard word. And instead of receiving it with joy and gladness, we receive it with a kind of groaning. It's, it's as if we're saying... Are you telling me that God doesn't want me to love all this beautiful stuff around me? Things like money and prestige and pleasure and comfort. We hear it like that. We, we're just not getting his point. His point is that those things are, they're, they're not all that they're cracked up to be. They're, they're temporary. They're not ultimately satisfying. That's the allure of them though, right? You think they're going to satisfy you. They're not. They won't. Riches are fleeting, money goes away. Don't pin your heart to what cannot truly satisfy you. And one day won't even be yours. Pin your heart to what you can have and enjoy forever, what is truly and eternally satisfying. That should not make us groan as Christians. It should make us rejoice. There is a treasure that lasts forever and we can have it. In Jesus Christ, it is ours so that's the top slice of bread. And again, I, I gave it an attempt last week um, to put that before you. I won't say much more than this today. Now look at the bottom slice of the sandwich. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's, that's a really helpful word because there is a thought in us that we can do both at once. Christians often try to do both. We think that we can pursue God and have God and also pursue wealth, money, and the world and have all those things together. I can love Jesus and I can love my stuff, but alas, I cannot. My heart will eventually be swayed one way or the other. I cannot serve two masters. If you have an old King James Bible and I'm going to guess that's like three of you today. But if you have an old King James Bible, um, the, the last word of verse 24 is mammon and not money. 
And it's actually an important point. And that's because mammon, mammon is the underlying word. It's actually an Aramaic word. It's not a Greek word. They didn't have a, a Greek word for this. So they just kind of transliterated, it brought in the Aramaic word. And we don't have an exact equivalent of this word in English. It's not the exact equivalent of money. It, it, it is money, but it's more than money. It is much more general than money. I think mammon means wealth, possessions, stuff, like, in a, like stuff we want. It's, it, in this one word, it kind of captures every sort that you can think of, of earthly treasure that we could have or that we could pine for. It's a broad, a broad category. And what, what is mammon to you might be different than what mammon is to me. The things that I want, I mean, mammon is mammon, but I, you, you could have like your affection towards, I don't, I don't have any desire to have horses or one of those big rodeo belt buckles. And some of you do want that. And, and you probably don't have any interest in that new bow site I'm looking at. So there's that. They're different things, but it's all mammon. Mammon is not intrinsically bad or evil. Um, it's, where, it's the place that we have in our heart for it that changes things. And mammon is alluring to us. It's desirable to have. It makes so many promises to us. It makes so many promises. If you have me, mammon says, you won't have any problems, only comfort. I am what you need most in this world, Mike. I am mammon, and I promise to make you happy in me. Come to me, and you'll be happy. Come serve me, Mike. Mammon is alluring, and that's why it's so dangerous. And that brings up a question we have to ask at this point. I kind of alluded to it in the way I just phrased that, but in verse 24 in this whole section, Jesus is portraying these two competing masters. We, we understand one side, like what, what, it, what, what, what it's like as for God as a master. He, he's a person. He speaks. He makes commands. He tells us what to do. That's not difficult for us to wrap our minds around. But what does it mean to serve mammon? I mean, it's inanimate, right? I, I animated it, but it's inanimate. It doesn't really talk. Mammon doesn't issue commands or tell us what to do and doesn't assume authority over us, right? So, I mean, it's just stuff. So what does it mean to have mammon as a master over us? I think we do know what it means. I think we do know what it's like. Maybe we've had seasons in our life where everything we did was dictated by a bank account or by having something or by coming into possession of something. Likely you can remember seasons in your life when mammon was what you lived for, what you fretted over, what you worked for, what you schemed for, what you dreamed about. In that sense, mammon becomes a taskmaster. We, if Think of it, we, we want to please mammon in a sense. We want to be in a favorable relationship with mammon. We want it near us. We want to enjoy its benefits, be in its presence. So we work. We serve almighty mammon. We dream about having it. In that sense, mammon is dictating what we do, why we do it, what we live for. It shapes the way you live your life in that sense. Do you see? And there are many points of comparison to the way that we serve mammon and the way that we serve God as our ultimate master. He's putting them up as minimal pairs here, Jesus is. So there's lots of connections, lots of points of comparison. Serving mammon is, again, wanting lots of mammon, wanting to be in mammon's presence, being in a favorable relationship with mammon. And having mammon in our lives is a, in, a, in a major life-changing, life-directing way. 
Serving God is wanting lots of God. Wanting God's presence in our lives. Desiring to be in a favorable relationship with God. Seeking God as our master. And desiring to have God in our lives in a major, life-changing, life-directing way. They're very similar. In fact, I would argue that the action of serving mammon and the action of serving God is exactly the same. The, the, the serving, the only thing different there is the object. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. And if you don't like the word serving, how about the word worship? Our hearts, as per Matthew 6.24, cannot serve or worship both God and mammon at the same time. You cannot pursue that relationship with mammon and that relationship with God at the same time because one will sweep your heart away. Your heart has the capacity to love and cherish and pursue and serve and worship one thing ultimately, one God, not many. And that's a good word for my dabbling heart. I think I can do both. I, I, I know I can't. I mean, I know theologically I can't, but I, I sometimes think I can. I, I think I can love stuff, pursue stuff, dream about stuff, long for stuff, live for stuff, and still have and worship God. But that's not the way my heart works or your heart works, friend. One will win out over the other. So that, that's the bread of the sandwich that we're trying to eat today. Do not lay up treasures on earth because your heart will be there and your heart can't worship both God and earthly treasure. Your heart can't worship God and mammon. It's one or the other. Now consider with me the meat of this passage. This is the most confusing part of this section and the commentaries are no hope, no help rather whatsoever. At least they weren't to me. The ones that I, I read about a dozen or so and they weren't, there's probably some that are helpful but the ones I read weren't. But look at verses 22 through 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now I know that's confusing on its face. It's, we have a hard time understanding the imagery Jesus uses here. And there's two reasons I think this is difficult. One is the imagery, it's hard. Eyes are not, they're, they're more like windows than lamps. They let light in. This is how we think of eyes. They're not the source of light. So that's one difficulty. I think it's a smaller one of the two and it's pretty easily resolved. We just don't press the illustration too far. The bigger difficulty is that we have a hard time understanding why Jesus said it here, right in the middle of this passage. Why did he say it here? What's his point? So quick confession until Friday, this sermon was going a whole different direction. I'll be honest, I, I, this week I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and studied and studied and studied, prayed and prayed and prayed. I sat down on Thursday and gave it my best shot. And I knew, finishing it, I knew it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite right. So on Friday, in God's kindness, I think I finally saw it. And I knew at once my old sermon was garbage. Or not garbage, it's not not what we needed. And I could see this as God's grace to me and perhaps God's grace to you so that we would see this truth. You see, the big question is, why does Jesus say this about our eye right here, sandwiched between two paragraphs about money? The lazy answer is that this is just one of three metaphors to help us get the point. Treasure, light, master. 
Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is our light. Jesus is our master. Let's think about strategies for how to keep him there and not run to money. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Verses 22 through 23 are the meat of the sandwich. Do not lay up, lay up treasures on earth, but lay them up in heaven because your heart is where your treasure is. And you cannot serve two masters, God and mammon. Your heart will go one way or the other. And here it is. How and whether you see that determines everything. If you have a good eye, by God's grace, you will see earthly treasures for what they are. And you will see mammon for the cruel, unsatisfying, lying taskmaster that he is. If you have a good eye, you will see heavenly treasures for what they are. And you will see God for who he is. And that seeing will be light to your path. Your whole body, your whole life will be full of light. In other words, you won't stumble in the darkness of this world, tripping over your desires and your lusts and your stuff. You will see things for what they really are and how they really are. Mammon will not be alluring to you like it is now or often is to us. And Jesus will be infinitely precious to you. Do you see? I mean, do, you, do you really see? Friends, everything depends for you on whether you see or not. Your life will go the way you see things. It always goes the way you see things. Your life always goes the way you see things. You do things, as the cliche goes, as you see fit. The eye is the lamp of the body in that sense. If it is healthy, if it discerns reality the way that reality really is, the way the word of God presents it to us, your life will be full of light. But there's a warning here, right? Big warning. If your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. If what ought to illumine your way, your eye, the way you see life, is darkness, how great is that darkness? That ought to wake us up this morning. The whole world walks in great darkness and the problem isn't that there is no light. The problem is their eyes. They have bad eyes. They cannot perceive light. So they live and they die in darkness. Listen to how Paul addressed this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. Listen to the language of blindness and, of course, the cause of it. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is why the world stumbles in darkness. This is why mammon is the God of so many. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be blind. I, I don't want to walk in darkness. I don't want to have a bad eye. I want to see things as they really are. And I'm sure that there's only, way to, there's only one way to have a good eye. Only one way to have a good eye. His name is Jesus Christ. And this goes right to the heart of the gospel. 
The sweet news that Jesus Christ came into this world as the light of the world so that men and women and boys and girls and college students and ranchers and teachers and stay-at-home moms can finally see. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I mean, what a gospel, right? If you will look to Jesus, you will see. You won't stumble around in the dark anymore. Jesus came to make blind eyes see. He came to make my blind eyes see. Without him, I would be walking in darkness. Perhaps Jesus will do that miracle in your life today, making your blind eyes see. Oh, what what light your life will have. What light our lives have when God opens our eyes. As you see him for who he really is, the savior of the world, whose work on the cross reconciles all things to himself. The one whose name is above every name. The one whose cross cancels every debt, every sin for those who look to him by faith. The one whose resurrection gives life to all who see him, who really see him, who look to him and see him for who he really is the one who satisfies our longing hearts forever. Jesus gives us eyes to see that God is the treasure of all treasures, more precious than anything in the world. Friends, I don't think you have to spend a whole lifetime trying to figure out this lesson. Mammon doesn't hold a candle to Christ. Stuff doesn't do it. Now you will, you will, you will try to figure out that the hard way if, you're, if you've got a bad eye. Or you will look to Christ by faith and believe and know that he is a treasure beyond everything this world offers. One of my favorite dead writers, C.S. Lewis, famously said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I think this, that's the message of this passage. If only we will see it. Friends, laying up our our treasures on this earth is foolish because those things are temporary and fleeting and they will fail to satisfy your heart. You go to them so that your heart might be satisfied. They will fail to satisfy your heart forever. One day you won't own them. Unlike God, God satisfies forever. Our treasure with him is secure forever. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. You cannot serve two masters. Your heart is kind of like a telescope. You know what I mean? It's got a narrow field of view. And you will either focus that on God or you will focus it on stuff. But you can't focus on both at the same time. And the key is seeing it. If you, by God's grace and in his kindness, see this world's enticements for what they really are, fleeting, temporary, and unsatisfying, and if you, by God's grace, see mammon for what it is, a cruel taskmaster who will exploit you and leave you empty. And if you, by God's grace, see God through Jesus Christ, the way that he really is, the supreme treasure worth everything, worth your life, If you see that, you have a good eye and God has been kind to you to open your eye. You will have light if you turn to Christ. 
don't spend the next 30 years, don't spend the next 10 or five or one or how many you have left here on this earth walking in darkness. Look to Christ today. You, you need a good eye. Jesus makes blind people see. He did that like literally and he does that spiritually all the time. He might be doing that today for you. He will make you see. He is the only one who can make us see. Oh, Christian, is your eye healthy? I spent a lot of time thinking about just what I stare at. Thinking about what, is my eye healthy? Well, what do I stare at most? What do you stare at most, friend? Is it light and life and satisfying or hope giving? Or is it just mammon? Oh, let's, let's leave here with our eyes on Christ, the treasure of heaven. Let's be convinced. Let's walk in light. Let's have a good eye. So that we might not waste this life on things that will not, in the end, help anyone. But live our lives for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that you would give us eyes to see this morning. I pray for anyone here who today does not know you as their savior, is not trusting only in you. Oh Lord, today give light, open eyes, help them to see Christ as he really is, who he really is, what he has really done. And Lord, if there's anyone here like that today, Lord, may they leave here with a good eye, believing the gospel. And Lord, we thank you that you are better. You are better than anything we could possibly pursue in this world. You satisfy. Oh Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see that and that we would, we would, long, we would seek to be satisfied with you alone. And we know and believe that you will satisfy us forever. We will never grow hungry again. I pray that you'd help us to believe that, trust that, and live like that this week, especially in relation to stuff. Help us to live like Jesus is our treasure. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.